And uh, this past week, I just felt kind of a prompting in my spirit to give you guys a challenge. Are you ready for a challenge? Okay. And uh, here's the challenge. It is uh, cookouts for Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that you just go home and you make some hot dogs and hamburgers for Jesus, okay? Um, Because he might show up, but he might not, too. So really what this is about is that you would actually invite a coworker or a neighbor or a friend or maybe your 111 person. You know, at the beginning of the year, we encouraged everybody to think of one person who was far from God and to pray for them for one minute at one o'clock and for you to invite them. So you'll see here that the host is you and then it's for your neighbors or like I said, if it's a coworker, a friend, whoever, and that you would invite them over. Now, The month of June, all we're asking people to do is actually to pray about which neighbor you would like to have come over. Again, it needs to be a neighbor who's disconnected from Christ or the church. And we know that some of you may not like your neighbors, so you might not want to invite them. But, you know, one that you, like, understand and connect with a little bit. And I never ask you guys to do anything that I don't do first, so we are going to invite our neighbors who we've been praying for and uh, reaching out to uh, over the past year uh, to come in June, at the end of June. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm actually going to share with you how that experience went, some of the things that I learned, probably a lot of the things I wouldn't do, and uh, some of the things that I would. And then I'm going to challenge you, either in July or August, to invite your neighbors over so you get to know them better. But then secondly, that... If God opens up a door that you can actually be a lighthouse, your home can be a lighthouse to them. Okay? So, are you up for that challenge? Yes? Okay. So, we will uh, share that with you uh, in about a month then. All right. Well, let's uh, pray and we'll, we'll jump in. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for your presence that is here. Thank you for bringing us together today that we might be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to be, God, your hands and feet in our neighborhoods. And so, God, I pray right now for each person who's here, God, that you would already be stirring and giving them a prompting of what neighbor it is that you would challenge them to invite over for a cookout, a neighbor that who might be disconnected from you, and yet they're looking for a friendship. And I pray, God, that there would be many people in the jar in July or August that would take on that challenge and uh, really have a cookout for Jesus. And now, God, through your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would speak to us, that you would teach us how to use the gifts that we have in the workplace so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here's a sobering thought this morning for you. And here it is. One-third of your life is going to be spent at work. Just think about that. One-third of your life is going to be spent at work. The best eight to ten hours of your day is going to be spent in the workplace. And your experience at work is either going to add significant satisfaction to your life and joy... Or your experience at work is going to bring you misery and you're going to feel like you're just going through the grind and you're going to be unhappy and you'll leave that eight or ten hours and you'll just be unsatisfied. So it should come as no surprise that Solomon, the guy that we've been talking about over the last five weeks and who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying in the Old Testament, as he's thinking about kind of the meaning of life, 
it's no wonder that he spends some time talking about work and our human labor because that's where we spend a third of our life. And Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. I have seen what is best for people here on earth. They should eat and drink and enjoy, find satisfaction, another translation says, in their work. Because the life God has given them on earth is short. God gives people the ability to enjoy the wealth and property he gives them, as well as the ability to accept their state in life and enjoy their work. Put a simpler way, one of the greatest blessings that you can have in your life is to love your job. To love your job. To be satisfied with what you do each day. Uh, how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you know someone who hates their job? Just by a show of hands, how many of you know somebody who hates their job? Now, how, do you, how have you gained that information? How do you know that they hate their job? Because they tell you. They tell you how miserable their job is and how miserable they are for those 8 to 10 hours. And you know why they tell you that? Because they want you to experience the same misery that they have. They are miserable, so they want you to experience a miserable life at work as well. On the other hand, I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago. And he used all the classic lines of a person who loves their job. He goes, time flies when I'm at work. He said, I love the people that I work with. I mean, it's almost like their family were so connected. He says, I wake up and I, I love my job. He says, I would even go in for less money. Now, he's a lot younger than me. He hasn't quite learned that yet, you know. But, but you could just tell that he was satisfied with his job. And this guy, I've seen him before. He goes around, he, he tells people how he loves his job. So let me ask you this question this morning. It'll come up on the side screen, and it's in your program. So you can actually circle 1 to 10. How satisfied are you with your job? One to ten. How satisfied are you with your job? Now, regardless of your score or who you are, whether you're the CEO of the company or you're the lowest person on the rung, you are going to spend one-third of your life at work. It doesn't matter your position. One-third of your life is going to be spent at work. And Solomon says that if you want to live a satisfied life, then you need to make sure that the work side of life is squared away. And to make that squared away, I believe that there are three critical alignments that are essential for a person to love their job. Here's the first one. It's the passion alignment. The passion alignment. Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So the passion alignment. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of us, folks, is wired with a passion. Some of us have more than one, but we all have at least one. We're all wired by God with different passions in our life. For some people, it's a passion to sing. For other people, it's a passion to cook. For other people, it's a passion to eat. <laughs> right? I don't know that's a passion, but some of you really enjoy it. I mean, I do too. For, for some of you, it's a passion to fish. It's a passion to fix things. It's a passion to build things. 
For other reasons, I don't know why God does this, but some people have a passion for medicine. Some people have a passion for construction or landscaping or teaching or leading or administrating. I was talking to my dad, and he's always been about work. In fact, he'd probably confess that work's kind of been an idol of his. And after he had pastored for 35 years, he said, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so he had to get a job. In fact, he came home and he started cleaning the house every single day, and he would just drive my mother crazy. And my mom finally said, you got to get a job. You got to get out of here. You know, you haven't been around me for 35 years, and now all of a sudden you want to hang out? No, no, no. Go get a job a little bit, you know. So he went and he got a job, and he applied to work at a funeral home. And I thought to myself, a funeral home? Really? I was like, you're close to there anyways. Like, why would you want to go there faster? You know what I mean? So... I just asked him one day, I was like, Dad, really, like a funeral home? He's like, yeah. He goes, I love it. I was like, you love it? He's like, yeah. He goes, I love it. He goes, I love it. Because when people are going through one of the hardest times of their life, and they have all of this hurt that's going on, I get to be there to help them and care for them during that process. I said, oh, okay. I said, I get that. And he said, I, I love it because I get to work with such a great group of guys. I was like, oh, okay. And then he said this, and I love it because I get to drive the hearse, and it's cool. <laughs> and I thought, driving the hearse and cool. Okay, you know what? I, I guess. Now, contrast that. To a friend of mine who is a high-profile attorney in Chicago. She makes close to a half a million dollars. And she is at the peak, kind of, of her profession. She prose- she's prosecuted uh, corrupt politicians and pedophile, pedophiles and terrorists. When 9-11 took place, she helped to prosecute many of those. And she loves to find the truth. And she loves to put dangerous people behind bars. She loves to find justice and make sure that it's prevailed. And she loves the fact that there's courtroom drama. Folks, so many of us have not the same job satisfaction that my dad talks about or my attorney friend does. And yet it's clear, folks, that every single person here, regardless of whether you love your job or not, you have some passion that God has given to you in your life. We all have a passion. Many of us have more than one. And when you identify your God-given passion and you align it to the vocation that God has given to you, Then all of a sudden you're like, really? Like I could actually get paid for doing what what God has wired me up to do. And folks, that's sort of the idea. Like God never intended for people to go through their entire life miserable. He gave you passions and he wants you to live those out. Identify the passion that he put in you and then align it to a job, and when that happens, folks, it's an amazing, amazing gift. Now, I thought I'd give you a resource today for some of you that might be thinking, man, I'd like to know a little bit more about this. And so, uh, probably the best book on this by Parker Palmer is called Let Your Life Speak. And uh, if you're at that place where you're trying to discern some stuff, you can check this book out. And uh, I think it'd be helpful for you. But Parker Palmer, uh, let your life speak. Now, the second critical alignment, if you're going to really love your job, is called the culture alignment. The culture alignment. 
Two weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine asked to have uh, lunch with me, and so uh, we went to a restaurant together, and uh, he started telling me about the culture of uh, the job or the workplace that he's in. And he started sharing with me that uh, he works for a, a, a software company, and he said when they first started this software company, he said there were only four employees. And he said, but it was awesome. He's like, it was flourishing and everything was so great. And almost every single month, we were hiring new people, just one after another. And when they'd come in, they, we blended together so well. And things were wonderful. And he said in the early days of the company, he said that there was this flourishing concept. That the atmosphere that they were inside, it was flourishing. It was wonderful. He said, even though that they added, like I said, one person a month over those first few years, he said it was almost magical. He said people weren't under-challenged, but they weren't over-challenged. They were adequately kind of challenged. And he said that people really cared for each other, and they were honest with each other, and they would, you know, be uh, critical, but objectively about things that would happen, and they just worked together so well as a team. And he said, everyone loved coming to work. They would come and they would just enjoy it. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you would say that the, the, the uh, work culture that you're in right now is a flourishing culture? Can anybody raise their hand? And I didn't pay my people to do that, okay. Well, let me just say this, because I can tell that that's not the case for most of you. That if you just raise your hand, you're very lucky. Like you're, you're really, really lucky to be in a position like that. And each morning, you should thank God that you get to go to a flourishing work environment. Now, the next kind of type of culture right underneath flourishing... It's called a healthy kind of culture. So it's a healthy culture. This is basically where people get along, the work makes sense, people respect each other, management is kind, it's a healthy thing. It's kind of like kissing your sister. It's sort of fun, but it could be much more fun. You know what I mean? I'm not have some of you done this? It's just an expression, folks, okay? Just an expression. Well, as, we're, as I was talking with my friend, he said about three years into this startup software company, the company had grown, but he said he noticed that it wasn't as flourishing, but it was still healthy. He said that he noticed that the company started to change a little bit. He said management was still kind, but... People weren't quite as excited to be at work and with other people during that time. It wasn't quite as flourishing. Now, how many of you would say that your work environment is a healthy environment? It's just, it's not flourishing, but it's not what we're going to talk about next. Okay, well, there's one last environment, and this is what we call a toxic environment. A toxic environment. How many of you would say that you work in a place right now? Your bosses aren't here, so don't worry about it. Uh, how many of you would say that you work in a toxic environment? How many would raise their hand and say that? Okay. Now, in a toxic environment, this is what happened. People don't trust each other. There is always unresolved conflict, mixed motives, power plays. There is constant attacks going on. People are often always looking behind because they know they're going to be put down. Well, my friend said that this company, as it grew more and more, he said it wasn't because it grew, but it was because all of a sudden we kind of changed what the true vision of what we were doing was. And he said pretty soon it became toxic and people were stabbing each other in the back and he just told me a story about another guy who applied for the same job that he applied for, and then when they went into the interview, the other guy actually lied about my friend telling what he had done at some event that they were at in Chicago, 
and he didn't get the promotion. And he said, I saw all of this and I thought to myself, I've got to get out of here at some point. And so he's kind of making a transition, hopefully by the, the end of the year, that he'll be out. And he said, would you give me wisdom, or would you pray for me for wisdom that I'd know how to do that? Folks, a toxic environment looks a lot like this. Let's say that there is a group of ten employees, and the task is to take a boat from one side of the lake to the other side by rowing. But within that boat, this is what you have. Three people who are rowing, five people who are napping, and two people who are trying to sink the boat. That's the environment. And the reason I know that is because a recent Gallup poll says that's what American workers think. In this recent poll, it says that 30% of all American workers are excited about their job. 52% are disengaged. They're not fired up at all. They're people who are just napping to get through the day. And then this, 18% of American workers are so ticked of what's going on in their environment that they're actively seeking to harm the organization that they work for. Now contrast those 10 employees with 10 employees who are flourishing and that they're intensely and enthusiastically and they're unitedly in one voice. Which team is going to get the boat to the other side? The flourishing one, right? Every single time, that's what's going to happen. Because they're united, they're enthusiastic, they're flourishing workers. Now there were several of you that raised your hand when it came to a toxic work environment, and you're like, yeah, but I can't just leave. This is my job, so what about me, Bunch? What, what can I do? Well, here's my best advice. Avoid the toxic doors when they get open. Avoid the toxic open doors. And you're like, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you know this. If you live in a toxic work environment... Guess what is connected to a toxic work environment? People. (laughs) And then you have toxic co-workers. And toxic people know how to get under your skin, don't they? They know exactly what buttons to push, what to say, what not to say, to get you upset and kind of riled up. They know how to tick you off. Now, the way to... Get beyond that door is to simply identify the door. Because I'm amazed at how many people go to work and they have toxic people around them, but they never realize that. Or number two, they notice it, but they just ignore it. You have to identify why is it that that person gets me so ticked off. They just open up the door, and when that toxic person does that, we so foolishly kind of walk through the door and we walk through it blindly. Let me give you some examples. They open the door by attacking you. They start putting you down. They start saying things about you. And pretty soon you just kind of step in the door and you become toxic like they are because they know you'll respond. They open the door of argument. Everything's an argument. They want to have a debate about everything. We bought 20 pencils. Well, we should have bought 15. You know what I mean? Like everything's a debate. And they're waiting for you to jump into the debate. It's like they have the trap set. And maybe the biggest one is they open the door of gossip because they know that you want to walk through it. You see, the reality is, is that Even though you're a Christ follower, every single person, when they get tempted with a little bit of gossip, they want a little bit more. And you get to choose. Because you'll always want to listen, and then you want to add your own tidbit into it. You see, one of the greatest temptations with gossip is this. We all want to be in the know. 
We all kind of want to know what's going on in everybody's life. And when someone tells us, we're like, oh, yeah. We like to hear things. We like to know when someone else has something bad happening in their life. Because if someone else is really kind of messing up, you're thinking, oh, my life's not so bad. And it's a power trip. And yet, let me remind you what the Bible says about gossip. It says this. The mouths of fools are their ruin. Their lips get them into trouble. What dainty morsels rumors are. But they sink deep into one's heart. Folks, don't fall into the trap of gossip because it is one of the biggest toxic things that can destroy a workplace. And it can destroy you as well. Now I realize that the temptation of the door that toxic people open, it's very easy for us to walk through. In fact, sometimes we walk through it and we don't even realize it. But remember these practical words. Do not do as the wicked do or follow the path of evildoers. Avoid their haunts. Turn away and go somewhere else. For evil people cannot sleep until they have done their evil deed for the day. They cannot rest unless they have caused someone to stumble. And then Solomon, the guy that we've been studying, not only did he write Ecclesiastes, but he wrote many of the Proverbs. And in Proverbs 1, he says this, My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. In other words, don't walk through the door. Walk away. Turn your back on them. You're not a bad person, folks, when everyone is in the lunchroom and they're gossiping about somebody else that you turn and you walk out. And this is the thing. If they don't like you because you walk out, then who cares? Who ultimately cares at the end of the day? Because at the end of the day, you will not stand in judgment of the lunchroom group. They have no judgment at all based upon your eternal life. But one day you will stand before God and He'll say, man, I appreciated so much. Every time people start gossip, you walked away. You just turned and you walked away. And this is the thing about your work environment too. Even if it's toxic, you choose your attitude. Every single one of us whether it's flourishing, whether it's healthy, whether it's toxic, when you walk in, you choose your attitude. And people say, no, 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 no. Someone else chooses my attitude. No, they don't. You choose your own attitude when you walk in. And you can choose to be a blessing or you can be a burden. Every week, I remind our church staff how important it is for them to spend time with God every single day and that they, they do it before they come to work. And in fact, one of the things that I've done over the past uh, year or so, when I meet with them on their one-on-ones, even though we work in a church, one of the questions I always ask is, what would you rank your spiritual life right now? And they have to kind of rank it one to ten, what their spiritual temperature is. And as much as I can, I strongly encourage them that they spend some time with God, 15 minutes before they kind of come into the work environment, to surrender to the Holy Spirit, to be filled with God's Spirit, to be filled with grace and peace and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. God, allow me to live those out in the Jar Community Church office today. And I challenge our staff to do this all the time. Because when we do this, what I notice is that our culture remains flourishing. They walk in and they're excited about the next thing that we're going to do. And it all honors God and it glorifies Him. Now before I move on, I just want to challenge all of you with this. You might say, well that's nice, preacher boy, and all the people that work for the jar. Like you're with God and you're doing God stuff, so... I bet it is a nice place to work. I wish I had that environment to work in. But no matter what your environment is, whether it's toxic or healthy or a flourishing environment, this is the truth, folks. You can make 
a difference in the culture that you're in. You can make a huge difference in the work culture that you're in. And this is why. Christ is in you. Like His Holy Spirit dwells within you. And when you walk into your workplace, He's longing for Him to get out of you and to get with other people. One of the worst things a Christ follower can do is just keep Jesus in you. It was never meant to just be in you. Christ was supposed to be in you to go outside of you to impact other people's lives. And you can be a culture changer. You can be a culture builder. You can make a difference. And so I want to challenge you this morning before you go into work, especially if you live in a toxic environment. I would strongly encourage you to get up 10 minutes earlier and to spend 10 minutes with God and to ask Him to have His attitude as you walk into your work environment and to be able to pray that I'm going to be a blessing and not a burden as I walk in. And to build other people's spirits around. And this is the thing. It doesn't matter how they respond. (laughs) Because ultimately, folks, you're not trying to win their approval. What you're trying to do is to win the approval of the one who knows you best and loves you most. And you walk in with his attitude. And my experience is, is that when you submit your work to God at the beginning of the day, and I know this because I do this. When I submit my work to God at the beginning of the day, I go through the day and I have his attitude. And when I get home from work, you know what I often do when I'm driving home from work? I'm like, it was such a satisfying day. It was like really satisfying. You know, I was thinking about what would happen if tomorrow morning all the adults in the jar went to work in Muncie, Delaware County, all of East Central Indiana, and you went into your jobs and you were filled with God's Spirit, what would happen? What would happen if we brought hope and blessing and we lifted up all the co-workers that were around us? You know what I think would happen? I think we would make a huge difference in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana. And I think that all of heaven would be like, look at my kids. Look what they're doing. One of the great joys that I have is that there are some of you that all work together. We have a couple banks where there are multiple people that work in them. And you know what I'm amazed at in both of these banks is that they don't realize it, but there are Christ followers that have taken over the bank. And they become these lighthouses. And there are people that are hurting within these banks. And it's not because of money. It's because of stuff going on in their life. And we have these little lighthouses that are in there. And people are being drawn. And so many of them have come through these doors and they've stayed. And they're seeing themselves as lighthouses in their, in their workplace. So you have your passion alignment. You have your culture alignment. And then I think there's one more piece of the puzzle, and that is the compensation alignment. The compensation alignment. And the reason that I put it third is because the reality is, folks, it is third. And the problem is that for some of us, we want it to be the most important thing, but it really isn't. Now, it is important. Jesus said these words. It'll come up on the side screen. A worker deserves their wages. A worker deserves their wages. You all know that an exchange takes place in this whole worker-employer relationship. You put in some labor, and an organization gives you a wage. That's the way it should be. But there is a dilemma that all of us face, and I think it looks like this. We constantly are struggling between our passion level and how much money we make. 
Do I follow my passion and I earn less money? Or do I just go for the money and I disregard my passion altogether? Now, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest and for you to raise your hand. But how many of you would say that you receive adequate compensation and you are working in your passion area? How many of you would say that? Okay. Okay. Now, this is the thing. You should thank God every single morning that you get adequately compensated and that you are working in your passion area. Because any of you that raise your hand, you are in a minority of the rest of the earth. Because most people are constantly struggling with this concept of passion versus compensation. Most people have to make some really tough decisions with this dilemma, and it's agonizing. There's no simple answer to what this dilemma looks like. And yet, to be honest, I've seen able-bodied Christ followers who are able-bodied who choose not to work, and they take their family through so much pain, even bankruptcy. I've seen them lose homes. I've seen them lose cars. I've seen their kids be pulled out of school systems because they decided, I'm going to not get a job until it's my passion level. They're like, if it's not in my passion area, I'm not going to do it. But that kind of attitude, to me, folks, it like just goes against what it says in 1 Timothy 5.8, which says this. If a person does not provide for their family, he or she has denied the faith. If a person does not provide for their family, he or she has denied the faith. The central message of the Christian walk is that if you are a provider... You've got to provide. And sometimes that means that you put your passion on hold so that you can put food on the table. You put aside it for a season. It doesn't mean that you should never be working in your passion area. I think God wants us to do that. But every once in a while there are seasons that we have to put that on hold. And then we let God help us to provide within that. Now, on the other hand, I've seen dozens and dozens of people who've just gone after the money trail. Where they go for the money as much as they can, and they ignore their passion whatsoever. And their eyes get kind of droopy, and they just seem kind of dead inside. But they've got the big house, and they've got a nice shiny car, and they've got a boat, and they've got a, you know, summer cottage. And when I see these people, I'm I'm like, really? Like, really? You're going to trade off compensation for living out the thing that God has called you to do. Now, you might be asking this question. But what do you do if either, one, you're stuck in a job that doesn't align with your passion, or number two, You're stuck in a job that you love, but the reality is you can't pay the bills. Well, there is no simple answer to that, but I want to give to you a scripture that I think will encourage you in the midst of this. In James 1.5, it says this, If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. Folks, God wants to give advice to you. You're not bothering him when you ask him for wisdom. He's not like human beings that, you know, once you ask after a few times, they're like, okay, let's avoid that person. You know, you call them and they're like, whoa, not going to look at that. They see it on caller ID and they put it away. God's not like that. 
God says anytime that you need wisdom, you need advice, especially for the place that you spend a third of your life, just come and I'll give it to you. God is focused. He's single-minded. It's his intent to give, to be generous, to, to give anything that he has to you. He's not sitting back. He's generous and he's abundant. And he says it's available any day. So if you're battling with this comparison, this comparison between getting a job that's in my passion or, or one that I need compensation for, ask God. He loves to answer his kids. And then be patient for his answer. Don't just rush into something, but wait for him to speak. And when he does, walk through that door. You walk through faith. My wife Jennifer, a couple of weeks ago, talked about that for her. That she finally had to make some choices that were different, and she sought God's wisdom, and God spoke to her. So if he can do it for Jen, he can do it for anyone that's here. Now let's go back to where we started. The sobering thought. A third of your life, folks. A third of your life is going to be spent at work. And it would be so cool. It's exactly what God desires, that if your passion kind of aligns with your vocation, to find your passion alignment and your culture alignment and your compensation alignment, so that the one-third of your life is overflowing. It's like overflowing with satisfaction. You know, I was thinking about it this week, and I just felt prompted to tell you guys, I love my job. I do. I love my job. There are very, very few days that I ever wake up that I'm not just so excited to go into the office or excited to come on Sunday morning or excited to go to the hospital or excited to be with a person when they're going through struggles or be with someone when they're uh, having the birth of their child or any of those things, I'm just, there's very few times that I don't walk in and I'm just so like, oh God, seriously? Like you let me do this? It's such a privilege to be able to do this. You know, it's like, God, I'd do it for free. I'm glad you pay me, but you know, I'm, I, I would, I would do it for free. And the other thing is I work with some of the best people I know. I walk in and they're fantastic people. People building me up, people encouraging me, you know, jabbing each other just in fun. And I thank God for that opportunity. For Derek and Emily and Jennifer and Mikey and Stephanie, these are wonderful people who give themselves to you. They invest their lives in you. And your kids are impacted by it. And this is the thing, folks. They have chosen passion Overcompensation. Believe me, I can tell you, they can make more money doing something else, but they don't because they want to honor the passion that God's given to them. And God's blessing their life. And you know, I've been in this gig for about 20 years, and I still love what I do. Jennifer sometimes will be driving around, she's like, You love what you do, don't you? I was like, uh, A little, you know. I love it. I just never get tired of seeing people's lives change. People growing. Families being put back together. People who were addicted to something being set free. People who have had horrible, painful things happen in their life. And they learn to forgive other people. Like it just doesn't get any better than this. And I'm so grateful that my passion alignment and my culture alignment, my compensation alignment, they all don't go together because a third of my life, folks, when I go through my day, it's satisfying. It's satisfying. A couple of weeks ago, our youngest daughter, Shiloh, graduated from pre-kindergarten. I don't, they graduate people from everything now, you know what I mean? Like pre-kindergarten for me, you didn't get a hat and all that kind of stuff, but now you get all this kind of stuff, certificates, everything. And uh, she graduated from pre-kindergarten. We went there. I think we have a couple of pictures of her with her teacher there. 
And she was just like so excited. And during the ceremony, at the end of uh, everything, they brought each child up before they got their certificate. And they said, uh, we're going to ask all our kids one question. Uh, What would you like to become when you are an adult? And one kid said a scientist and a Another one said a doctor. Another person said they wanted to be a veterinarian. And then there was one boy that said he wanted to be a ninja. I thought, man, that kid's going to be messed up. You know what I mean? Like, whoo. And then all of a sudden, Shiloh gets up there, and Jennifer and I have absolutely no idea what she's going to say, which is most of the life with Shiloh. We never know what she's going to say, what comes out of her mouth. And they said, Shiloh, what do you want to become when you grow up? And she said, I want to be a pastor. And this is the reason why she was able to say that. Because she has a loving church family. A people who invest in her and care for her and encourage her and lift her up. And honestly, it wasn't shocking to us that Shiloh said that. And it's my hope and prayer that she does become a pastor. And that she impacts this world in a much greater way than me. That's one of the prayers I have for my kids every single day. That they would impact this world in a much greater way than me. So that Christ's name could be lifted up above every other name. You know, the reason why... It was so moving for me on that day. It's because, to be honest, I never wanted to be a pastor. I looked at what happened with my dad with some pretty negative kind of church things, and I just was like, I don't want to do that. And I went to college, and I went four years to be a history teacher. Got my license. I interviewed at multiple places. I never got a job. And then... Because I just needed a job. I I applied for this thing, mainly because my dad was in this denomination and he got me the job. And I look back on it 20 years later. And I realize God had a plan for my life. You You see, folks, he knew me better than I knew myself. And he loved me more than I thought he ever could love me. And he said, no, that's not what I have for you, Chris. Although that was a difficult time to realize that. But he says, I got a greater plan for you. Something that was greater for my life. And would I have been a good teacher? Probably not. But God allowed me to teach something that was more important for me. To be able to communicate to other people. Now let me ask you, is it possible that God loves you more than you think he does? And is it possible that he might have a plan for you that is greater than you could ever imagine? And is it possible that he's calling you today to investigate your passion And align it to your vocation. Is he calling you today to jump into the culture that you're in. And to change it. And to be his hands and feet for your workplace. Is he calling you to go to a compensation level. Maybe that I'm going to stay in the job and I'm just going to get an extra job to pay for something. Or you know what? I'm going to volunteer and do some stuff. I make enough money, but I, I don't, I'm not living out my passion. I'm going to give myself to Christ in the church for something that's greater. Folks, if you get this all right, I can guarantee you this, that the one-third of your life that you're going to spend in will be satisfying. And you'll come home at night and you'll be like, ah, how wonderful this is. You know, I was running yesterday and I was thinking of you guys. 
And I started thinking, what would it look like tomorrow morning that if the 250 adults, 300 adults that come, what if tomorrow they were so fired up with the Holy Spirit that they went into their workplaces in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana, and they were fired up. I think that if you did that, you would be a force for God. And you'd be a force for good. And there would be huge changes in our community because of you. And I'm just asking you, tomorrow, when you get up and you go into your workplace, will you be a force for God? And will you be a force for good? Will you? Let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving each one of us a passion. Help us to use that passion, God, for your glory and for your honor. And God, would you help us to change work cultures that maybe are more toxic into a flourishing place. And God, would you do that work through some of the people that are here today. And God, would you align the compensation level in such a way that we wouldn't allow one side or the other side of the teeter-totter to be there, but we would find balance between our passion and our compensation level. God, move in our lives this week. Move in the workplaces that we go into. And help us to be a force for you. And help us be a force for good. So that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. First Steps with Chris is right now. If you go through these doors and to the left, and uh, I'll see some of you there.